The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Christopher Dow. Important documents enclosed. And our Minty Booth. Just ask any child. <laughs> and we are talking about our absolute tip-top favourite video games. Tip-top. Announcement! Announcement! This is very exciting, but it is your final call to enter our 12-game Steam Bundle giveaway competition. If you still want to enter, you can go to our website, o3c.games, share one of our articles on Twitter and tag a friend, tag us at O3C Games, and use the hashtag O3C Bundle. And make sure you follow us on Twitter. That's the most important bit. If your tagged friend follows us as well, they'll be eligible and you can just keep sharing articles, tagging people as much as you like. And if you get loads of friends to follow us, that will increase your entries. And at the end of this month, that being February 2022, which is uh, a week today, if you're listening to it on, the, on, on this episode on release day, we'll draw a name out of the bag and you will win 12 games on Steam that have been handpicked by us. Such brilliant indie games that we've covered on the show, like Desert Child, The Texasist, and Hotshot Racing. Some proper classics like Retro Wave, Brutal Legend, Framed, and Cave Blazers. And then you get to pick the final game in the bundle from our three favourite video games of all time, Half-Life 2, Res Infinite, and Tales of Symphonia. What a steal. Oh, just get reading, get sharing, and get gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless. Available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers. So, this week we've gathered to amend our top 100 lists even further. We're now, this is our ninth amendment. It's never ending. Uh, it is. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, this this run of episodes will end, but then give it a year yeah. and we'll have to do another 0.5 season to, to chuck in a few more amendments. We're, we're doing this till the grave. I mean, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's just constant <laughs> reappraisal. But before we do that, we're going to tell you about what we've been playing this week. But before we do that... We're going to tell you a little bit about what we made of the recent Nintendo Direct that happened in uh, the last week or two weeks, depending on when you listen to this. Or last year, you might be listening to this way in the future. I hope things have worked out all right. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Loads of things got announced and got, or got some extra coverage of stuff that we already knew were happening. What were your highlights? Minty, what uh, what, what piqued your interest? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I oh, know. Uh, nothing really stood out on this one for me, to be honest. Um it was mostly stuff that we have that that we that we know of from previous directs and all that. So it was really nice to see Salmon Run is coming back and getting a lick of paint in Splatoon three. I I do like the co op aspect to the Splatoon games. Um, so seeing Salmon Run again, really really great. Interested to see that Mario Kart eight is getting huge amounts of DLC instead of just Mario oh, Kart yes. nine coming out. Uh, we love to see absolutely it. insane. Mm. Yeah, I mean I think we've said before that if they're gonna do I mean, like Mario Kart 8 is the ultimate version of Mario Kart. If they get Mario Kart 9, like there's no point in doing Mario Kart 9 if it's just 
more different tracks because you know just do it as dlc i mean yeah. they're not doing yeah. new tracks but you know i think that will change the formula up for what they do with the future of that franchise and i think yeah 48 tracks it's so exciting mm. remade tracks from loads of old ones a whole bunch of ports of tracks from mario kart tour which is quite fun because some of those are set in like real world locations mm. I, I can't wait i'm really excited mm. i'm also really excited that they've added it to the nintendo switch online expansion pass yeah um, slowly gonna be getting our money's worth for that get yeah. the value in there i mean certainly between that and the animal crossing dlc let alone obviously the n64 and mega drive stuff you get with that it's it that's now a, a really good deal <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. On top of that, like I, I'm very excited for these tracks, but someone remarked on Twitter the other day that by the end of this run of tracks, the Mario Kart 8 house band will have been recording music for longer than the Beatles were together. <laughs> and, and, and that makes me really very happy. <laughs> That's superb. That's superb. I really hope we get proper Mario Kart band versions of the music i really hope so you need it really don't you yeah i I don't want them to cheap out they've set a high bar for the level of quality in that game because that game is is one of the best looking and best sounding and and to be honest just best feeling games to play that nintendo have ever released so uh yeah Uh, i know a few people have, have turned their noses up at some of the graphics but I mean, we saw that for like 10 seconds. It might not be final yet. Some of the tracks, you know, just fuck off, people. <laughs> Stop being negative. Just just learn to learn to enjoy yourself for once, you dickheads. Yeah. Minty. On the subject of the uh, the booster courses, I'm just excited to see what they do to make the uh, all the older ones, like uh, the GBA ones, the Super Mario Kart things that they didn't put in, how they're going to make a Mario Kart 8 worthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah the ones that the ones that have been yeah. updated they've got shit like zero gravity or you can go on the ceiling all that sort of thing it just sort of goes up and down doesn't it which uh, which we love so yeah i don't know how they're going to make waluigi pinball better oh that is such a good track yeah it's 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 the best track in the entire franchise in imho Im- <laughs> i see that on the first wave of tracks released there is choco mountain from the n64 which is Without a doubt, one of the ugliest things you can ever see in all of gaming. It's a very bland track as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they've made that fun. <laughs> what else is there? Fire Emblem Musu game? No, no. no, no, no. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised, really, because like the, the obviously the Zelda Musu games are brilliant and you love Fire Emblem. And this is like very tied into Fire Emblem Three Houses. It's, it's very much, you know, it's like what Age of Calamity was to Breath of the Wild. Yeah, but I think the two styles of combat between Fire Emblem games and Musu games are so disparate that it kind of Fire Emblem Warriors from what I've seen and I've experienced very, very little of it but it's just it, it's it's so it just seems really jarring and very unappealing yes it's about um, you know taking down terrible empires and uh, unleashing the power of the emblem and then sealing away the power of the dark power of the emblem and all the rest of it but it's it's not about like slicing down hundreds of people in one in, in one go it's it's more about strategy so zero interest in it at all i'm afraid mm, anything else yeah last thing for me uh, i'm really looking forward to is playing no man's sky on the switch that's mad that that's happening yeah i'm putting that into the impossible ports category yeah if it gets a physical release i'll buy it just to put next to the witcher 3 and dying light yeah mm. it's, because it's, it's, it's it, sh- it shouldn't be able to run i assume it's going to run like a fat pug <laughs> i mean the footage that they showed in the direct looked decent <sighs> who knows who knows mad 
Yeah. Chris, how about you? What were your highlights? A few we've already touched on, obviously. I, I'm very excited to play Kirby when it finally launches soon. I am so looking forward if, to if that If nothing game. else, the, the ridiculous mouthful mode. It's just so wonderful. It is. And it's, it's basically Odyssey 2. Yeah. You know, it's 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 like Cappy at that stage. And, I, and I'm yeah. more than happy with that. <laughs> you know, I said from the initial trailers at the beginning, it was like, this looks a bit like Mario Odyssey. And it's like, I, th- I think that's what it is now. I would imagine the majority of the same team are working on this game. I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah. I'm also quite excited as one of the deep cuts. There were a few kind of like 90s throwbacks that came out of nowhere in this direct. Mm. The Square Enix RPG Live a Live or Live Alive or Live Alive, however it's said. I've known of this game for a long time just from the kind of fan translation side. Mm. So I've played half an hour of it at some point on an emulator. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Like there's kind of these different distinct stories that all connect across different time periods and whatever. But the style they're doing it in this new kind of HD, 2D, 3D thing that sort of, I guess, started with Octopath and now is being applied to a lot of their old properties. It, it looks really nice and it's fully voiced and it's it looks like a lot of care has gone into that, which is a, in stark contrast to the remaster of uh, Chrono Cross, which <laughs> yeah, looks, looks dog ugly. It really does. So horrible. So horrible. Gopping. <laughs> The other port I am very excited to play is the Portal Companion Collection. That's mad Because I think well, this yeah. this will finally be the way I play Portal 2. Yeah, I forget you haven't even played Yeah, I bought it back when you talked about it on the podcast and it's just never got around to going in a machine. Yeah. I probably have it on Steam as well. Who, who knows? But probably this will be the way. I promise when it comes out of the Switch, <laughs> I will buy it and I will play it. Excellent. I mean, I, I would be, I was really excited about it and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get that. I can't wait. And then I realized that I've got my Steam Deck coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's redundant. <laughs> but it's, it's so great that it's coming to... I mean, it's the first... It's the first, uh, like, modern port of the game since... Like, what did it come out on? Uh, 360 and PS3? Yeah. It's been a while since it's had a console sort of thing. I imagine that the that collection will be released on PS5 and Xbox Series Christmas, whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd hope. I, I can't imagine Valve yeah. have like an exclusive thing with Nintendo for this, but Nintendo got to announce it, and that's something. Definitely. <laughs> what about you, Jonathan? Anything else that tickled your your pickles? Well, a couple of things. Mario Strikers looks like a lot of fun, yeah. although I've got massive trepidation for getting too excited about it after we got our fingers burnt with Mario Golf. Yeah. I think I would... I was thinking, oh, they're going to say, and it's got a single-player campaign mode or something, and I'd be like, oh, oh it's just going to disappoint me. They didn't announce that, and I don't know whether or not that's a good thing or not, because one, my expectations aren't up for it, but also I don't think that a game like that can live on just arcade gameplay alone, certainly yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you know. Kirby, I'm enormously excited for. I can't wait for that. I'm still tentatively interested in the Advance Wars reboot collection yeah. thing that's yeah. coming out. It seems that the reason for the delay was they, they wanted to add full voice acting, <laughs> which didn't didn't sound brilliant, but fair enough. Fine. I'll be playing it with the sound off anyway, most likely. But yeah, the real thing that I mean that got me excited is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Three, the uh, the final announcement that was that yes. was made. I'm excited to see, uh, just just you know to see more more in that world, more in that land. I mean they're they're brilliant games. They've continued to refine their formula and explore sort of interesting things with what they did with Xenoblade Chronicles Two and the Xenoblade Chronicles Two sort of expansion stuff and the definitive edition of the first game that came out on the Switch is a genuine masterpiece it's it's just incredible so yeah i'm thrilled that they're doing that yeah it's coming out later this year which is a bit mad but there we go let us know what stood out to you what games are you looking forward to which games do you think actually that looks like a turd tell us what you think tell us what you think 
So, what have you been playing this week? Minty, how have you been getting on with Pokemon Legends Arceus? Fine, yes, yeah. Just making progress, just going through each of the different areas now, catching all the Pokemon so I can get to what I assume is going to be the end game with uh, with Arceus. I put it down for a little while at the moment because um, as it's now the February sale, which is apparently a thing, um, I've finally taken the plunge and started Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch. Oh, yes. finally. Oh, thank God for peer pressure. It's taken almost two years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm about 20 minutes in and I'm, I'm, I'm a little lad, sweet little lad, and I've just driven a boxcar racer into the stream and my mum died saving me and it panned out through a crystal ball and it had what I assume is the antagonist going what a fucking loser <laughs> and now this soft toy that uh, that that your mum gave you has now turned into a little like a little bean looking fellow and he's got a nose ring that's a light I don't know what the fuck is going on uh, and that's as far as I've got <laughs> amazing tune in next week <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you got your head around it though yeah it's a hell of an opening mm. so good i'm so excited that you're you're finally playing it i'm really looking forward to getting your updates as the weeks go on your heart will blow up i think mm. so i have continued to play pokemon brilliant diamond which uh, I said I would, and uh, I have. <laughs> it sort of struck me that it's similar to what you've said before, Chris, about playing like low stakes, undemanding games. Yeah, this very much feels like that. It just takes the pressure off. It's nice to be pottering my way through the game whilst you know the TV's on or I'm watching football or something. Like I must say, I'm really, really loving the art style more and more the more I play it. It's just really, really gorgeous, really pretty. Like strolling around, I think it's called Flow Aroma Town, as the uh, the sun is setting in the evening is it's almost unbearably idyllic. It's just it's lovely. It's it's not a million miles away from what the Link's Awakening remake was trying to do on on the Switch with that sort of like tilt shift uh, toy box style aesthetic. But uh, fortunately, Brilliant Diamond actually has a, a consistent frame rate, uh, so it's got that that going for it. But it is it is lovely, and it just it just drips adorable lovely details from every single bit of the world there are actually more quality of life things thrown in than i thought there were originally like being able to access your pokemon boxes from anywhere you like that's a big thing and the new, there's a new system in the game called the grand underground uh, which seems pretty cool you can like go and find uh rare wild pokemon you can do like some mining mini game where you unlock stuff and things and you can build a secret base and there's loads of cool stuff i haven't really explored it too much but but you know i think i might get into that it's quite nice it's true though that the rest of the mechanics are quite dated it's especially in light of what you know game freak have done with with the arceus game it's got real pacing issues because of how slow it is to proceed in amongst random encounters and trainer battles it means that I don't need to rush it. It means I, I don't need, it doesn't need my full attention. And like I said last week, it does feel just like a lovely cuddle. And yeah, I've enjoyed playing something that I can relax into a bit and not worry about the real time action of things. So that's, um, so that's, yeah, it's been nice. Oh, and some old random dude uh, just gave me a Mew and a Jirachi. Uh, which I wasn't expecting. That's very kind of him. It was lovely. He was just like, oh, here's a mute. <laughs> and I was like, God, remember when we spent like 10 years trying to like yeah. bug the game yeah. to try and get one? 
and uh, now is just a man in a field. And apparently that's what happens if you've got a Let's Go Pikachu or Let's Go Eevee save file in your Switch. So, uh, yeah, uh. yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nice. There's there's a few things like in the game that I'd I'd forgotten I hated since their mechanics that weren't in Arceus and 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 also had been I think tweaked in Sword and Shield, like Pokemon abilities, which. I understand the idea of them. They're kind of like little gimmicks to a Pokemon that will give you a, an advantage in, in battle, but they're all fucking annoying. Like a Pokemon can have an ability called Sturdy, which uh, prevents it from being killed in one hit. But it means that like even like a level five Geodude, if you come up against that in the wild and you're just devastating it with a legendary Pokemon using Hydro Pump or something, it means that it won't die and that's stupid or like <laughs> static which is an ability where if you beat that pokemon your pokemon gets paralyzed and i liked in arceus how the status effects were sort of streamlined because so they they don't persist outside of a battle which is just much more fun like otherwise you could like twat out a little pichu or something that you find in the grass and then have to trounce back to a town to heal your pokemon from paralysis because you don't want to waste your fucking money on buying paralyzed heels even though your pokemon's about 400 times more powerful than a fucking little piddly fuzzy mouse another <laughs> game that i've given a, a just a, a quick world to is ollie ollie world which uh, just came out on the eShop. oh yeah and it is so so good i didn't play the first ollie ollie game but i was really drawn to this new game after it was shown off in some nintendo direct or an indie showcase or you know one of those things and it's a really nice twist on the skateboarding game genre it's very much like a, a 2D Tony Hawk's and it's actually not too different from the Game Boy Color Tony Hawk's games in their like mechanics and setups, but obviously polished to about a billion times the brilliance of those yeah. games. Yeah. It, it feels like a mix between like a, not an endless runner, but certainly a runner type game or like you're on a sort of roller coaster of a, of a path and you just sort of have to have to know it and, and react and make the best out of the jumps and grinds and stuff like that, that that come on it, you know, on a rather than being in a 3D sort of sandbox. But like from an aesthetics point of view, I think this is actually one of the nicest looking games on the Switch. I know, Chris, you didn't you weren't that fussed on the art style when it was revealed. Yeah, I was, I was unsold. When you see it in motion, they really own it. And it's just dripping in style and charm. It looks like you're playing a cartoon, basically. It's yeah. uh, it's very, very cleverly done. Every single bit of the, the game has attention to detail. Even like the cursor when you're on the map selecting which mission you want to do. Just the way that moves around and changes as you move is just so, so nice. It's a strange detail to pull out. But when you see it, you'll you'll realize um, what i mean <laughs> you'll know i mean as with a lot of these types of games it's it's going to take me a little while to get my head around uh well and my thumbs around the ins and outs of the controls because it's it's very different to how you control other skateboarding games yeah and just indeed any other like 2d platforming type games it's quite punishing but it's also another great example of a game being hard but not unfair because <laughs> you do have such immediate control over everything that if you muck up you know it's your fault and you can usually identify what you need to not do next time usually for me it's just simply jumping too late uh, and uh, if i didn't jump too late i wouldn't have died but i'm really looking forward to playing more of it and yeah i, I really encourage people to, to, to give it a whirl if it looks like something you might enjoy too and uh yeah there we go chris what have you played this week fair bit this week for me i've continued picking through songs in clone hero still having a lot of fun there the biggest challenge like from playing it this time has been retraining my muscle memory a little bit because 
I'm now playing on a on a modified guitar. Like I, I bought one that's got an improved strum bar and it's got improved frets and other kind of internal bits that make it all a bit more consistent and a, and a bit better to use. But it also does away with the sometimes inconsistent kind of gyro controlled star power thing where you'd normally lift the neck up to, to double your score. Oh yeah. So inst- instead there's a big button underneath your palm that's been kind of like surgically implanted in this, in this guitar body. Surgically? Well, by someone with tools. <laughs> so kind of. <laughs> But like all, all modded guitars now are apparently built this way because the super pros want the precision of being able to activate star power like to frame perfect values and accuracy. But having obviously many years experience winging it in the air every time I want to turn it on, I found it's quite hard to teach myself that lifting the neck up does nothing. <laughs> and I quite often like activate it late or in some cases just drop my combo completely because I've I've panicked and then I've kind of lost my fingering. So I, I've beaten all of uh, the songs from the original Guitar Hero with seven stars now. Nice. Uh, I've done a little chunk of the second game set list and today i finished off all the songs that were part of dj hero as well like a much smaller set list but there were kind of a handful of tracks that had guitar in them and because it was still activision publishing they just went oh i'll just stick some guitar in it so that that's where it comes from kind of the legacy one thing i've noticed playing those uh, and and since getting back into this this kind of game properly is how the different development teams had such wildly different note charting styles when it came to actually making these games so Harmonix as the series originators who did one and two and then a bit went on to do rock band. Their charts are always really clean. They're quite simple. They're, they're all about kind of precise lines and patterns. Then when Neversoft took over with Guitar Hero 3, it became all about excess. And there was a lot more like big three and four button chords, lots more solos that were kind of overcharted. So really you're, you're hitting more notes than were actually being played in the song. And, and they feel good when you nail them, but they're just a bit over the top, at least for me. And then the DJ Hero team, Freestyle Games, theirs are just not very good <laughs> because they, they really nailed how to chart these kind of mashup tracks for the, the turntable controller and everything felt right there. But playing these bonus sort of guitar songs in isolation, you really realise that they didn't have a clue about how to make guitar parts feel good to play. And a lot of them were really tough to seven star, just not because there was like a, a big extended solo or like a physical trial, like kind of a you know, a long metal song where you're playing lots of triplets or something like that. They're just tough because the note charts aren't very good and, and your fingers yeah. will often trip over themselves because you think, well, the note goes higher. So obviously I'm going to move that direction on the neck. And then for some reason you don't. So yeah, the, the final couple of tracks that took me quite a while, but done it. So that's another kind of little <laughs> achievement for me. Well done. Something different I've played this week. Very different for me, actually. I've, I've played a fair bit of Elder Scrolls Blades on the Switch. Oh, that, that, why? Uh, well, I remember you, you gave some initial thoughts on it, Jonathan, when it first launched on iOS a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did. And I was quite put off at the time because a lot of commentators back then were really critical of how it used its free-to-play thing. You know, it had really, really intense wait timers. It was all a bit egregious, really. But it's it's been basically two years at this stage, and, and I saw that it was in my kind of games library on my Switch when I downloaded it before. I put it on, and it's it's a much more generous game now. Like, I've, I've probably oh, nice. played it for five or six hours at this point. I've hit the odd difficulty spike, but I haven't felt compelled to spend anything because, you know, it's, it's not that you die and then you have to wait for your lives to regenerate. You just can have a go again or, or take on a mission that's a bit easier to kind of try and up your experience a bit. And there's always kind of a, a daily refreshing job pool that you can blast through to kind of, you know, up your character. It's an Elder Scrolls game, but a really watered down one. But I don't really mind that at all. <laughs> like a, a month or so back, I, I did actually pick up Skyrim on the PS5 and I thought, I'm going to play this. Everyone loves it. Everyone says it's a great game. Maybe maybe this is the time I'm going to get into it. And after an hour, I felt really crippled by the freedom of it all. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. When, I, when I pick up a game, especially on a console, I like to at least feel that it could be a finishable thing for me. 
and yeah. and the size and scope of, of Skyrim just felt too great. Like when I was playing The Outer Worlds, it, the framework of that game is very similar, but everything is just that bit more linear. You know, each planet kind of feels a bit like its own little playground that you can tick everything off and be largely done and then move somewhere else. But Tamriel, as it is in Skyrim, is just just too big for me. It's just too big. And and because Blades, Blades is a very railroaded experience. You know, every mission is just essentially a straight jaunt from A to B and you chop down some monsters, you collect some materials. But as a game to play for a little bit before something else or for half an hour before bed, I, I quite like how straightforward it is. So I, I have enjoyed that so far. In terms of other free-to-play stuff that I've put time into, this is nowhere near the open-ended experience of something like Genshin Impact which I, I still think is like the gold standard for how to do this stuff in terms of it feeling like a big AAA game that just happens to be free. But Blades is also probably a bit more involved than obviously something like Frozen Freefall, <laughs> which I have taken a break from. But, you know, they all have their place, I think, these games. I think they all kind of do something when you when you need them to. And and for Blades, taking on its own merits, it's, it's a pretty solid, sizable game. And, and I think anyone could get a good few hours entertainment out of it for the grand old cost of, of nothing, as long as you're kind of reserved yeah. enough not to not to be drawn in by kind of the, the shiny chess that costs whatever premium currency it is. The last thing I wanted to mention, and then I'll, I'll shut up, I've also received back my newly repaired PS3 today. Oh, fantastic. And this was a big job. Like after scouring around on the web, it seemed like almost nowhere actually repairs them anymore. And I, I resorted to trawling YouTube until I found a chap who just seemed to be good at microelectronics. <laughs> and and yeah. he said he could give it a look. And his day-to-day trade is like streaming repairs, essentially, of mostly modern machines. So kind of the PS5, PS4, and the, and the new Xbox consoles and Switch. But he said, you know, the PS3, he's worked on one or two before. And he was he was willing to have a look. And I felt pretty confident taking a punt because watching his videos, he seemed to approach every repair with like a real inquisitiveness and transparency and care like he, he seemed to know know his onions kind of thing <laughs> his name is the coder on on youtube with a, a three instead of an e and his business is at consolefix.co.uk and if anyone has any broken machines I, I can't recommend his services highly enough because you know now i can play my ps3 again so yeah very grateful for that what's the next thing you're going to play on it I, I want to finish off that Lord of the Rings game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trevor, yeah, yeah. Trevor, I, was, I was halfway through Conquest. I basically got to the credits of the goodies storyline. I was all ready to yeah. start the baddies storyline the same night, and then it um it died on me. So, yeah, over, over the next couple of days, because I'm on half term now for a week from school, uh, I will find time to to sit down. And it's, it's only a few hours, and I'll, I'll do that. And then it's another one to say I've, I've beaten. And uh, good job, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we talk about our top 100 lists? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. You know what we should do? We should each pick a game that we want to go in the list and then pick a game that we want to come out of the list. It's worked for every episode this season so far, so uh, let's, 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 let's carry on in that manner, I think. If it ain't broke. Minty, why don't you start us off? All right, yes. A few months ago, I was able to enjoy some VR games, courtesy of Jonathan lending me his uh, his Oculus headset mm. fascinating piece of tech and i think the original reason i borrowed it was to play um carve snowboarding prior to our special episode with with lovely giles oh yeah great guy good game there are a few other games loaded onto the headset as well which uh like just taking a step back i think that's crazy like it's it's it's, it's some goggles <laughs> with a computer in it you wear it and you're somewhere else and you're doing something else it's a mystery how it works and 
I wonder if this is how the Victorians felt about photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mysteries and the Victorians, let's talk about my pick for today. The Room VR, A Dark Matter. Ah, very good. <laughs> that is a good segue. I mentioned the fact that my wife and I love playing crap-free point-and-click games on this podcast so often I must sound like a broken record now. One that can easily be fixed by scouring your house and surrounding area for a bottle of resin, a hairdryer, and a pizza stone. <laughs> They're great. If you play a good one, then you've got the good feelings of having played a good game. And if it's shite, then we can both partake in one of our favourite pastimes, being grumpy at something that's crap together. <laughs> we like the room games a lot. They've got a lovely level of polish that's missing in most tablet point and clicks. And most of the stuff that uh, the, the, the haiku games, uh, for instance, puts out, it's pretty good. Like the story in it, the puzzles and the characters and things like, uh, like Trap Maker. They're really great, but the room has all of that and just buckets of atmosphere. <laughs> From what I remember in A Dark Matter, you're like a Victorian detective who is investigating some sort of uh, paranormal case. Like, I think a history nerd has disappeared, and he's left you some sort of weird monocle that lets you see... Uh, spooky leavings like some sort of steampunk blacklight <laughs> that that then guides you through set pieces like uh, like museums a creepy church a witch's hut all the while tantalizing you that this is not merely some missing person case there are far darker forces at work it's amazing like you're not just wandering around a few buildings and gathering clues and maybe finding a key here and there each area is so grand and so atmospheric it's all so creepy and just stuffed with these odd contraptions that just compel you to keep inching forward on the trail of your mystery man there at one point in the chapel you have to sort out the workings of like a, like a clock or something. And instead of just presenting you with the illusion that you've sort of poked your head into it to fish around in the innards, the game leans into the magical nature of things and shrinks you right down to perhaps the size of uh, a mouse or a sickly weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And so what, you might think? That just means you're in a room stuffed with cogs instead of a vestry. No, no, my friend. When you're shrunk down... You have a landing area that lets you look around the newly colossal vestry before venturing into the clock or the pipe organ and just let yourself become utterly swallowed by this newly enormous room. It's fantastic. Uh, we couldn't get the headset to pair with our TV because of reasons. And to be honest, that kind of meant we got twice the enjoyment out of the game. Like we like to take turns with the room and that other one that we bought for it that was like, you're a fisherman made of wood. And sometimes you were big or small. Uh, I don't know that one. A Fisherman's Tale. Oh, I have one. heard of it, um, actually. Yeah, it was fun, but just missing something for me. Um, anyway, uh, we like taking short turns playing through our respective save files on games like this. And then just sort of, when it's not our turn, just, just watching the other one flail around and just build a little bit of hype for the next chapter. Like, ooh, oh, this is this bit spooky. Oh, I've done a really cool puzzle, that sort of thing. Like, just free advertising, basically. <laughs> and the other thing I really loved about this game, though, the most is how it, it not only nailed the immersion, but immersed you in something that's not what you'd normally experience. Like, it really fucks me off when we go to the theatre and it's just some miserable slice of life bullshit. Like imagine sitting down to devise a new piece, infinite possibilities, limited only by imagination, and you end up with a family being sad in a room. Fuck off. What a waste. <laughs> the magical undercurrent of the room VR makes it so much more compelling and opens up the possibilities for more esoteric puzzle fun that never becomes unknowable bullshit. It's, it's an amazing experience. I, I really love it.
So that's the game. But now let's talk placement. I'm going to stick it at no, what number is that there? <laughs> I don't know. I can't see. <laughs> oh, neither can I. Um, we'll put it at number. We'll put it at number eighty-one and swap it out for Diddy Kong Racing. I think. Yeah, oh. Fair enough. Another Harsh. mediocre kart racer on the N64. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the best one. It's the best one. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 it's, it's much better. It's much better than Mario Kart 64. Yeah, it is. But it is. Mario Kart 64 is also a good game. We're not. We're not having this argument now. Let's, let's not derail <laughs> this lovely list. Come on. No, I took it out so we didn't have to speak about this again. <laughs> well, well. So yeah, that's it. The room VR, a dark matter. Excellent. So, my game this week is... It's actually a game that was mentioned in passing last week. What was that, then? Well, you mentioned it in passing, Chris. Did I? Well, I don't know what it is yet. I... <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, It was actually your example of why photo modes in games are so much fun. Ah! Uh, and that's precisely what you spent your entire time doing in Insomniac's Spider-Man game. It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you did you ever finish the story of that no, game? No, I didn't. No, I need to. I need to just restart because I can't remember what's going on. I'll, I'll, I'll play it again <laughs> at some point, and I'll, I'll have like a. I'll ban the photo mode. I'll, <laughs> I'll, tell, it. I'll say to Georgia, if you if you see me press the photo button, slap my hands. <laughs> it's like disabling microtransactions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to save myself from myself. I mean, it's a shame that you haven't finished it yet because the story of the game is absolutely outstanding. But to be fair. I feel it's secondary to just how good the game feels to play. Most of the reviews for this game led with a strap line that said something along the lines of, this is what it feels like to be Spider-Man. And that does seem to be at the heart of the development of this game because there are plenty of comic book games out there. And obviously the majority of the big box office blockbusters are delivering multi-billion pound comic book experiences most weeks. And I've obviously gone on record several times saying about how gameplay should be the most important factor in a video game. If you're not focused on that, why is this a video game? And fortunately, not only did Insomniac think it was best to have gameplay as the priority in this game, but they also deliver on that because the game does feel insanely good to play. Just swinging around New York is amazingly exhilarating. The way that your abilities can be upgraded to allow you more sophisticated movements and go at greater speeds and at greater heights is just so... It's just so satisfying to do. Not since games like the 3D Mario games would you say that a game just feels fun to just run around in. But Spider-Man absolutely nails that sensation. You don't need to be on the trail of some villain or fulfilling a little side quest. You literally just could distract yourself just swinging around and doing nothing because it just feels brilliant. The combat as well, really satisfying. The way you can integrate web powers and Spider-Man moves into tight physical fighting mechanics in a 3D space. And also weave in environmental factors as well, like throwing enemies into other enemies or pulling the door of a passing car to flatten some thugs or whirl a manhole cover around to clear a bunch of space for you to operate. The game also manages to accurately translate Peter Parker's gift for science and technology into the game, with you solving different puzzles in little mini games to research and develop new abilities or new gadgets or further story beats it just everything it just gives you the full spider-man experience and it all just feels brilliant to play and you do feel absolutely like spider-man every single second you're playing the game apart from when you're playing as mary jane for a bit that's not as fun because hey she's not spider-man i thought you were gonna say because she's a girl <laughs> I, I, I thought that as well <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you think so highly of me and my opinions. <laughs> I thought you'd written it as a funny joke. <laughs> but then 
I come back to the story of the game, and this is why the game cements itself in my top 100. Lots of games are fun to play, lots of games have great stories, very few games deliver both, especially in the real-time action-adventure genre. It's all well and good for a big, epic, turn-based strategy JRPG to deliver a brilliant story and deep, in-depth control and mechanic systems, but, you know, the way it tells the story can be staggered because you're taking your time with it. You you go into a JRPG with an expectance that you're going to stop and be told a story and have lengthy dialogue scenes. And that's that's fantastic. And that's a great way of doing things. But with most modern real-time action games, like I've said before, when the game takes the control away from you in an action game, when you're used to being in control, then that feels a little bit stunted. And sometimes the game can only develop the story and tell the story further by taking the control away from you, which is where we end up with problems that I've spoken about before in games like The Last of Us. Now, I'm not a comic book guy. I've only read a few comics, a handful of graphic novels, but through the adaptation of some of these incredible stories to the big and small screen, I've become really, really invested in what comic books can offer as a storytelling medium. Obviously, in cinema, the MCU is dominating everything, and the success of the TV series on Disney Plus are cementing that dominance. We've had plenty of examples outside of the MCU and a few inside it of what makes a comic book story work well in that medium and what doesn't. And the reason Marvel hit the ground running is because they found and nailed the tone of how to make these stories work on the big screen in just literally with their first film with Iron Man. It's grounded, it's human and it's fun. Like, if they hadn't found that tone from the off, then they could have had similar problems to what DC have had with their extended universe. And, you know, they've struggled to find a tone that works for them that's also markedly different from the MCU. But the MCU have been able to stretch concepts of pacing and character development in the TV series. We've also been blessed with some wonderful stories in slightly different forms in the realms of animation, like the What If series, which I was really, really fond of, and outside of the MCU, but still within Marvel, in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's a good film. It's such a good film. And that really lent into what animation could offer these stories. And, I mean, fucking hell, that movie delivered in a way that would not work in live action. No. Like, the visual shorthand for defining the different universes that collide into each other, the stupendous stylization of the character design that augments their appropriate attributes, it's a work of genius. But then we have the story in the Spider-Man video game. And brilliantly, it's a story that wouldn't work on film. Possibly not even as a TV series, because certain characters like Mr. Negative in the game, I don't see how that could be credibly done realistically. But it's a fantastic character to be realised in this medium, and the pacing and character development have enough time and space to develop and evolve that you wouldn't get in a feature-length film. And the control you have over the pacing of the story is something that you absolutely couldn't get in a TV series. Like, I won't say anything about the story beats in this game, but I will say that the writing and performances are all absolutely brilliant and sell everything so well with a tone that just works perfectly. On a bit of a tangent, one of my favourite things in the Harry Potter books is just being with the little wizards in their school classes when they're just like trudging about Hogwarts doing school kid things. These little vignettes develop the character relationships, help you, you know, just to be immersed in the world. They'd be boring as fuck to see on the screen <laughs> because they rarely do anything to move the story forward. 
And it's it's like that in Spider-Man. If you've done a huge story beat and a big action set piece, sometimes you don't want to go straight into the next big enemy encounter or boss battle. You just want to go and be a friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man for a bit. Go and stop a couple of little crimes, help a New York fancier track down his missing pigeons, or, you know, seek out some of your abandoned backpacks. Or just, just take photos, either in the game as Peter Parker, <laughs> the journalist, or of the game in what is admittedly a brilliant photography mode. Similar to what I was saying last week about Sea of Thieves, the brilliance of this game is it gives you a wonderful sandbox and all the ingredients for you to experience your very own Spider-Man adventure. Yeah, the story beats are always going to be the same. But how you go about it, how you experience this world, that will very much be down to you. And that's so, so special. And even though, like, I will say to anyone that doesn't progress the story, you are missing out on that. (laughs) Sorry. I still don't see anything wrong about just enjoying the bits of the game that you want to, because those are absolutely wonderful and fulfilling simply just to do them. I was really, really glad to play the remastered version of this game as my first taste of the game. It was great that it came bundled in with the Mars Morales game, which is, I mean, it's more of a standalone DLC than a sequel to this game. But the zero loading times that the PS5 offer you means you can zip around New York so incredibly quickly. It's just so refreshing. Like, it wouldn't feel right if you could swing and zip and fling and fly around buildings and then have to put your controller down for 30 seconds whilst you wait for the game to load a a bit of fast travelling. And, I mean, New York looks and has got to be one of the most impressive pieces of game development. I was always expecting to catch the game out when you go from, say, like flying through the air, webbing off the chimney pots at phenomenal speeds to then walking around the streets. But there are just simply no seams and the fluidity of how these control mechanics shift between themselves means that you just don't ever think about it. It's extraordinary. I did also really enjoy the Miles Morales game. I mean, it fortunately understood that you'd probably already spent 30 to 40 hours exploring every nook and cranny of New York, so it doesn't litter the map with collectibles and missions, but instead focuses on the story, which is great. It was really, really good to, to, you know, have had exposure to the Miles Morales Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse film, so I had a bit of a better understanding of some of the roots of that character. And it also allows the game to focus more on the additional combat mechanics that are introduced, which are also really, really cool. But I must say, I cannot wait to see what the studio do with their next game. I know that Spider-Man 2, as they're calling it, is in the works, and I do hope that they separate Peter Parker or or Miles Morales from New York, because I feel certainly between these two games, we've seen most of what they can do with this location. And I know that's a tricky thing, because I know that Spider-Man is so connected to New York, and that's such a big part of his identity. But I think to make the game interesting, they are going to have to take some risks and do what they did in the MCU, just move them around Europe for a bit. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Send him on a coach trip. Yeah, exactly. Let's have Spider-Man London. That'd be great. But I know that Insomniac are also developing a Wolverine game as well, which if they can do what they did for Wolverine and the X-Men, what they've done for Spider-Man, then, I mean, we are in for an incredible treat. So, where's Spider-Man going in my list? What's getting the boot? I mean, I feel that this game is comparable to God of War in many ways. It's a big budget AAA action adventure game that delivers on gameplay as much as story. But I think that Spider-Man feels better to play than God of War. In fact, it feels better to play than most other games I can think of. It's it's up there with Returnal, that's for sure. And I also think that the story in Spider-Man, whilst it's obviously not as epic and intense as God of War, I found it deeply emotionally affecting and just great fun to follow along with. So... It's going to go above God of War, 
which was in that little Wario buffer bracket that I, <laughs> I managed to form. And I think it's probably going to go around a, a midway point in my list. But but for now, I, th- I think I'm just going to place it in the mid-50s. So just below where I placed Metroid Dread and Metroid Fusion. For now, anyway. I mean, I'm not, like I said, all of these games are up for reappraisal at the end of this season. But for now, I think it, it fits in nicely there. I'm a bit sad of the game I've decided to get rid of this week because it was an early, early favourite of mine. Uh, and that's Kirby's Dreamland. Oh, that's a shame. It is. It is. Like is. I'd say probably before Pokemon Blue, it was probably the game that got the most playtime in my Game Boy just because I enjoyed completing it over and over again. I mean, despite the fact that the game's only about eight minutes long... I probably put more time into it than Link's Awakening, maybe. But in my mind now, I don't feel that much joy thinking about the game. It feels more like a fever dream that I can't shake off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I can still The curse feel of the, Kirby. The, yeah, it's like the sound effect and slightly violent screen shaking that happens when you take a hit. Like, just thinking about that now really makes my toes curl. And uh, yeah, it does hurt to say goodbye to a Kirby game, and I don't really want to look him in the look him in the eye whilst I whilst I condemn him. But I do feel better because obviously started this episode talking about how much I'm looking forward to the new Kirby game, and uh, yeah, I, that who knows who knows by the time uh, we've played that that could be up for contention in this list. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. But Kirby's wonderful, and I love Kirby. But Spider Man is in my list. Bosh, Chris. Tell us what your amendment is this week. I will do that. I found it quite hard to write about because I don't have that much to say about Desert Child that I haven't already said previously. Uh, There we go. Well, for those of us who weren't listening then, why don't you tell us? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, other than to reiterate that it's a very strange, genuinely unique game that I think a small pool of people will absolutely love and a much larger pool will bounce off of at dangerous speeds (laughs) like will will be full-on ejected out the window i mean i I could call it here but that doesn't really feel in spirit the show so if you're a newcomer who's never heard me talking about oscar britain's weird game because it is a one-man project this game you control a character with a a penchant for hoverbike racing and they're doing the best to scrimp and save enough money to travel to newly inhabited mars to take part in a hoverbike grand prix to win fame and fortune and that's the main three-way in this game But if you're viewing it purely as a racing game, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. (laughs) Because instead, where Desert Child excels, and the reason I I really, really love it, is how heavily it leans into its aesthetic, like the feeling of it all. And and in trying to sell the idea that you are a stranger in a new place. Now, thinking about this, when I was young, I feel like I've mentioned this on the show before. I'd go around a friend from primary school's house and play all manner of weird DOS and PC games on his computer. And that was someone that his parents were were ICT people. So the house was always filled with big monitors and network cables trailing between rooms. And having that time on a PC when all I'd really experienced at home had been the master system and a bit of the Mega Drive, everything felt alien. So, you know, playing games that had this weird high resolution, very high color bitmap backgrounds in point and click games or the unnecessary pixel art detail in something like California games or the FMV intros in Command and Conquer. Like everything felt so space age compared to what I was used to. And Desert Child really leans into this early PC game look and feel in its downtime between races. So walking about kind of the, the spaces and towns you can you can wander through, scenes are all shown from fixed angles. So it could be that in one, your character is growing larger as they walk towards the camera in, in an alleyway. And then the next scene, you could be a small dot in the distance as you're viewing the street from a bird's eye view. And it's all so nicely drawn, but uses 
a very kind of well-chosen limited color range that seems to deliberately ape that limited palette of, of DOS games, essentially. It's, it's a really considered blend of being kind of realistic but stylized at the same time. Now, we've talked before about how a lot of games aping, say, 8-bit NES titles actually don't look much like NES games at all because they're too busy or they've got an increased color range or the music's wrong or the, the resolution of the aspect is just a bit, bit different. But Desert Child, I think, is much more considered in how it replicates its inspiration. And the expansive street scenes really hit that sweet spot in how they, they try and copy the weird PC games I'd play by the light of the CRT with my childhood friend Kieran. The animation of your character walking about is very reminiscent of the, the digitally rotoscoped intros in Another World and Flashback. It's just, it's really good stuff. It's really, really nice to look at. I think a big part of why the window dressing of Desert Child really works for me is because of the era of the PC that it evokes had that alluring otherness to it. And conceptually, because you're meant to feel like an outsider in Desert Child, finding your way in this new place, the game kind of has that that link to me personally that it makes me think of these games that at the time I was an 8 and 16-bit console heathen and everything was just weird and different. Back to the game itself, though. In between races, you'll take part in, in different minigames. You also might get sidetracked as you become ingratiated in the culture of these weird places. So you can try a variety of cuisines from market vendors to keep your, your hunger and stamina up. You can purchase vinyl records from a local music shop. You can indulge in a wee bit of larceny as you're drawn into the criminal networks of Mars. And all of these are distractions and their job is essentially just to distract you, to pad out the reasonably slim game otherwise. But I think Desert Child, again, would feel infinitely poorer without their additional flavour. You know, I, I said the game is all about its aesthetic, its feeling, and this is the sort of unnecessary extra stuff that elevates the game past just being a side-scrolling combat racing game. It's it's really a good example of being a sum of its parts. You know, it's it's better than any individual piece. It's like the package together is what really sells this. And would you believe that this is another lockdown game for me? <laughs> like, I, I played this to completion in one three or four hour sitting one evening. And Georgia was on speakerphone for a good chunk of it when we were still apart. And I likely spent a good deal of that call explaining what I was doing in game and then attempting to articulate the DOS analogy I've just been attempting to explain here. And and she likely spent a good deal of that call thinking, you know, having to spend time apart isn't isn't that bad, actually. <laughs> but weirdly, actually, her thought was, after you finished talking about this, we should move in together. Yeah, that was that was the that was the tipping point. That was the tipping point. Now I, was, I wasn't sure where to put this on the list. When we put together our amendment choices, I did mine largely chronologically. So the idea was that I could work to some sort of crescendo as we went through the episodes. Yeah. But then w- when you actually sit down and really think about the games that we we've, we've chosen, it can be harder sometimes to quantify it against other titles. Because just writing the name of it on a spreadsheet is one thing, but actually having to think about a couple thousand words worth of notes, it's, it's suddenly, you know, a very different, a different ask. And I don't think I enjoy Desert Child as much as Static or Yonder that I've covered in the last few weeks, but I do think it's more interesting than something like Balloon Kid. So I guess that's going to put it somewhere in the mid 80s. I think that's kind of like sort of equidistant between roughly where I've put those other titles. In terms of what's getting the boot, I'm sadly going to turf out Robotron 2084 this time. Oh. It's it's a great twitchy arcade game, but it's one that I will never get any better at, even if I play it exclusively for the next year. <laughs> like <laughs> It's such a hard thing. And, and the times I'm in the mood for Robotron, I'm actually these days far more likely to play its later sequel, Robotron 64. 
it's it's more forgiving it's got kind of a, a 90s rave aesthetic to it and it's just it's more enjoyable because it's not quite as punishing although objectively i don't think it's a better game than the original it's just more fun to pick up and play 2084 it's still a game that i will happily spend half an hour with next time i visit the arcade yeah. club for sure but but i think the oddness of desert child is more important to chris in in 2022 <laughs> and that's why it's kind of taken that place if anyone at home fancies giving desert child a go why not enter our competition that we mentioned yeah. at the top of the episode? Because uh, there's a Steam key for this very game in that yeah. bundle. You can tell I had a hand in picking some of these choices. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, it's it's something that a lot of, a lot of people will bounce off of. And at least that that way, if you pick it up in a, in a nice little freebie bundle, you might find that you're one of the ones that actually really loves it. And at no cost, other than sharing an article, tagging a friend and using the hashtag... O3C bundle. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that I was probably one of the people that bounced off it a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of games that you think, actually, it's a game that I like to watch somebody play. Yeah. There's a lot of games that I like to hear you talk about <laughs> with, bo- yeah. with both of you that, you know, I, I'd like, I like hearing Minty talk about JRPGs that I know I'll never play. <laughs> and I like, Chris, I like hearing you talk about, you know, games that subvert genres and conventions and their sense of place and whatnot. It means I can enjoy and appreciate it, even if I can't physically enjoy it. Often the 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 mindset I have going into playing an indie game that I know is going to be a, a short experience is very much like, oh, great, awesome. I'll sit down, I'll get straight into this, bam, bam, bam. That was really fun. What's next? Whereas Desert Child felt like I needed to be more present yeah. for it. And I needed to really figure out what I, not necessarily what I was doing, but why I was doing it uh, <laughs> and, and what it was trying to say. Well, I hope that kind of feeling is why people might listen to this show anyway. Yeah. You know, we all have such disparate tastes and, and kind of the stuff that we really enjoy it's not always going to be the stuff that we can share with each other in terms of saying, buy this and you'll love it. And having the ability to, to listen to us talk about some of this stuff, hopefully, is, is enough for someone on their commute to work on a Monday morning. And we will continue for as long as people are happy to listen to us talk about weird things. Exactly, exactly. So there we have it. Those are our three amendments. First of all, we had... The Room VR, a dark matter. And then we had Spider-Man before finally Desert Child if you've enjoyed this episode or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do chat to us on social media you can find us on everything at O3C Games we'd love to hear what you're playing we'd love to hear what you think of these games tell us what your favourite games are ask us questions you might like us to answer in future episodes just chat to us about games or anything else to be honest also please don't forget to engage with our giveaway competition O3C.Games read an article share it on Twitter tag a friend tag us hashtag o3c bundle get your friend to follow us you could win 12 games including desert child and so many more well 11 more if you want to support us even more than just say sharing the podcast on social media or just getting engaged with us you can go to o3c.games support there you can find details on our patreon scheme there are loads of different tiers of pledging and perks available to you and you will be rewarded with deleted scenes outtakes exclusive bonus episodes access to the discord server loads of stuff we'd love to see you there and uh, we'd love to welcome you into the the inner circle as twere or you can even just give us a little one-off donation via paypal we very much appreciate that as well we put it towards what we're doing and we'd be very very grateful for that you can even reach out to us individually 
I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I live at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week when we amend our lists with even further stuff. <laughs> we are Tenth Amendments. Yeah. By this point, you think if we can change 10% of what we put in our original lists, you think that just really sort of like compromises the validity of anything we did. <laughs> well, I'll cut that bit out. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. The Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Why do you have such a problem making boomerang shaped like a bat? You mean like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me, Bruce Wayne. I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. (laughs) Dennis... Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair at the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. The dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, no wires, the new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless.